It's Nancy, right? Nancy, right? No. Ugh. A good story takes us on a journey. It reminds us of where we've been and shows us where we could go. A good story makes us feel and inspires us to act. Welcome to the Good Story Podcast, where everyday stories that make you laugh, cry, or feel slightly uncomfortable will leave you inspired as Kirsten King tells true stories and teaches truth. My husband and I had recently moved to a new community and began working at a new church. I hadn't gotten to know anybody real well yet. I mean, I met a few people, like the lady who brought us cookies that my daughter yelled at to shut up. Season three, episode four, for those of you counting. And some neighbors and some groups of people from church. Like, you know what that's like, right? To meet a group. You'd show up at a thing and there'd be a group of people and everyone would go around and say their names pretty fast. And you'd make me catch a few and remember one if you're lucky. People would also suggest people for us to meet as well. Like, oh, have you met so-and-so? She lives kind of near you. Or have you met them? They moved here just about the same time you have. Or have you met this family? They have twins too. The name that kept coming up kind of surprised me though. Not the name itself, but first, by the number of times this person was mentioned, and second, and mostly, by the way everybody described her. Like it was totally normal to do so. I was at church the first time. Someone came up and said, have you met Virgin Kathy yet? I started saying no, then was like, oh, well, maybe. I don't know, I should say, I'm not sure. I didn't know what to say at all. A couple days went by and someone again at women's Bible study said, oh, you have to meet Virgin Kathy. I wasn't sure why everybody was so insistent upon it. Once I was standing with my husband and someone came and said, oh, you guys have got to meet Virgin Kathy. And they were so insistent upon it. I started wondering, I wonder if she does like abstinent talks or something. I also am not sure why people can't just call her Kathy and leave it at that. I was super uncomfortable. One day after church, there's a group of women gathered in the foyer. I came up, broke into the circle, which as a person who really doesn't like meeting new people was super hard for me to do. And I said, hello, hello. <clears throat> I didn't say it like that though. Hello. And I don't know why no one talked to me. Nope. I said something like, hi, or something more pleasant. I was hearkening back to my mom's advice to be the first in someone else's line as you meet them instead of waiting for a line to form. I want to meet you. So I said, hi, or something kind of sounding. And the ladies all stopped and turned to me and asked if I knew everyone there, which was very sweet. I said, well, I think I've met a few of you before, like, and I kind of gathered, you know, my wits about me, looked around and caught eyes with the lady across from me and said, like, Nancy. And she looked at me and said, mm, no, but she said, don't worry about it. She said, you're probably mixing me up with someone else at the church named Nancy. But I knew I wasn't. I knew exactly what was going on. I knew I had called her Nancy because earlier that day during the church service, I pointed her out to my husband and said, hey, look at that lady over there. Doesn't she look just like Nancy in 30-something? Which was a TV show he and I watched. He agreed. At some point, she told me her real name, but I never caught it. One day, we'd been invited to go to a park after church. We were going to picnic and swim with some families. When we arrived, many of the couples were standing there, so it was a great time to try to put faces and names and families together. We met Carla and Phil. We met Doug and Barb. We met Nancy and Al. Oh, I thought that must be the Nancy they thought I was talking about before, but it wasn't. A few more people were introduced, and then it came around to the Patricia Wedding doppelganger. You know, Nancy on 30-something and her husband. My, I, my glance actually went away from them for a second. I was checking on our kids. But as soon as I heard, oh, and have you guys met Virgin Kathy? 
my head whipped back around and I saw this couple standing there. And they, I said, um, I'm sorry, who? And they repeated it. Have you had the chance to meet Virgin Kathy yet? Oh my gosh. Yes, this is Kathy and her husband, Virgil. Oh, everything came together for me. Virgil. Oh my gosh, I've never heard that name before. Virgil, shortened to Virg. His wife, Kathy. It was Virgin Kathy standing before me, both of them with their three miraculous children. And I said, actually, I think we have met individually, but just never with both of you together being introduced together like that, which unless you knew what was going on in my mind, didn't even matter. And maybe nobody even noticed what I was thinking. And they were great and they were fun. And they had a boy or twins age, which is why everybody kept wanting us to meet Virgin Kathy, not for her message, but just for who they were. I was relieved actually, and also a little bit embarrassed that I'd ever thought anything else. <laughs> Misunderstanding these names, not a big deal. Misunderstanding God's name, bigger deal. <laughs> and here's why. Last week on Good Story, we ended our time together talking about the names of God, right? We had said, God's name is who he is. How he has chosen to reveal himself to us in his name is a reflection of his character. Which is why when we read in Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are saved. It makes sense. We run to his name because we run to who God is. God, the one with the beautiful name. People understood this in Bible times. Names often reflected character. For example, in the book of Ruth, when Naomi comes back from living in Moab, when she returns to Bethlehem and the people see her, she asks the women there to now call her Mara which meant bitter. Naomi, which incidentally means pleasant, had left Bethlehem with her husband and two boys when there had been a famine in the land. They left because they were afraid they might die without food, and they lived in Moab to make sure they wouldn't die of hunger. But ironically, over time, Naomi's husband did die, and so did Naomi's two sons. Some scholars take a look at this and make points like, the family left the land of blessing and went to the cursed land of Moab, and if they had just stayed, they would have been fine. All of which might be true, but I don't have hard evidence either way. What I do know is this. While Naomi lost a husband and two sons in Moab, she gained Ruth, the Moabitess, as she's often called in the book of Ruth, as her daughter-in-law, who was a faithful, faithful young woman. In fact, the very fact that she came back to Bethlehem with Naomi was a testimony to this. She was the one who said the often quoted verses, where you will go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. Just a little programming note here. These verses are often read at weddings, aren't they? Which is sweet. But if you wanted to be super accurate, this would actually be said from the daughter to her mother-in-law, which kind of makes the verses sound a little different in that setting. Anyway, back to Naomi. She's returning to Bethlehem when it says the whole town was abuzz because of them saying, hey, could this be Naomi? Is she back? And she's all like, no, it was. But no, it's more like Mara. All this to say, her name meant something was pleasant. Now it's bitter. If you're curious, she ends up pleasant again. If you haven't read the book of Ruth in the Bible, I encourage you to do so. Little spoiler alert here, though. Ruth the Moabitess ends up as the great-grandma of King David, which is pretty cool. The name thing occurs often in the Old Testament. Name your kid because of this. He was named this, which means this. Or like Abram, whose name meant exalted father, but then it's changed to Abraham, which means father of many. In the New Testament, you see it showing up again. 
In John 1, when Jesus is gathering his disciples, we see Andrew bring his brother to meet Jesus. He says, hey, we found the Messiah. And he brings him to Jesus and Jesus looks at him, Andrew's brother, and says, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Peter's name, which has been translated rock, conjures up something solid, something foundational. We read in Ephesians 2.20, you are members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. So what does this have to do with the names of God? Everything. (laughs) It's important for us to see how God identifies himself to us because it's in this way that he reveals who he is. We can read that God calls himself the Prince of Peace and the Master of Peace. So when we are lacking peace and feeling agitated or distressed, we can run to the name of the Lord, which is a strong tower, and be saved from our pain. We can read that God is the God who provides. So when we are at a lack, we can run to the strong name, the provider, and know that he will meet whatever need we have. We can run to the God who is the healer and pour out our heart before him and trust that he will heal us in just the way that he chooses to do so. We need to continue to run to our Savior, for example. God says he's the Savior. Do we need saving? Absolutely. First and foremost, we need to be saved from sin, which harkens us back to Good Friday and the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. We need to run to him to save us from our sin, and we need to continue to run to him in our everyday too, because we need to be daily saved from our sinful selves. Don't get me wrong. Once we place our faith and trust in Jesus to save us from our sin and we turn our lives over to him, we are saved. We are assured that we will be living in heaven with him. But in the meantime, we continue to need someone to rescue us from, as Paul said in Romans 7, our body of death. The part of us that wants to do all the bad things when we've been called, and I might add, enabled and empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the good. Which brings me back to Easter Sunday at my church this year. I already felt my heart full of gratitude to God for calling my name and saving me from death. And now, while I sat on the piano bench, beginning the introduction to a song, Beautiful Name, I was overwhelmed. The one with the beautiful name knows my name. The song began, you were the word at the beginning, talking about Jesus, Jesus, the word made flesh. You were the word at the beginning, one with God, the Lord Most High, your hidden glory in creation now revealed in you, our Christ, God made flesh, as it says in Philippians. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus Christ, my King. You didn't want heaven without us. So Jesus, you brought heaven down. My sin was great. Your love was greater. What could separate us now? Oh, what a wonderful name it is. What a wonderful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. Nothing compares to this. The name of Jesus. How sweet is your name, Lord. How good you are. We love to sing in the name of the Lord. We love to sing. Death could not hold you. The veil tore before you. You silenced the boast of sin and grave. Now the heavens are roaring the praise of your glory for you're raised to life again. You have no rival. You have no equal. Now and forever our God reigns for yours is the kingdom, Jesus Christ the King. Yours is the glory. Yours is the name above all names. 
What a powerful name it is. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. Nothing can stand against it. What a powerful name it is. You have no rival. You have no equal. The name of Jesus, which was his given name, means savior or rescuer. Christ, which was a title given to the one the Jews were waiting for, their redeemer, who is referred to in the Old Testament as the Christ, the Messiah, who is referenced as savior, son of God, lamb of God, prince of peace, just to name a few. Jesus Christ is the king, the king, not King Smalke, who was mocked as king of the Jews before he was crucified, not King Smalk, who wore the th crown of thorns that the opposers smashed upon his head, calling him king and was ridiculed by those who did not recognize him. Jesus Christ is the king who at his death and resurrection ushered in the kingdom of God with all power. We sang it. Death couldn't hold him. The veil tore before him. He silenced that boast of sin and grave. Now the heavens are roaring the praise of your glory for you were raised from death to life. Jesus Christ, whose name is beautiful, who is all things good, who is the giver of all every good and perfect gift. Jesus is wonderful. He can be admired above all. Jesus is powerful. There is nothing beyond his scope. He is able to love completely because he is love. So when you feel unloved, you are not. You are loved by God. Your identity, your worth, your acceptance is a gift to you from God because he loves you deeply. He lavishes his love on you as it says in 1 John 3. He chooses to adopt us as his daughters and sons, promising to provide for us all we need for all we need. We are invited to place our faith in him and to enter into a relationship with him as our perfect heavenly father, trusting him to save us and to make us more like him and less like our sinful selves. Oh, I am so grateful and I love him so much. Did you hear this good news? The one with the beautiful name knows my name. He's called my name. He pronounces it correctly and understands me completely. He has invited me to know him more and continues to reveal more of himself to me through his word and his spirit. Did you hear the good news? The one with a beautiful name knows your name as well. He can pronounce it correctly. He understands you completely. He has invited you to know him more and he will continue to reveal more of himself to you through his word and through his spirit. And may I encourage you, if you have not accepted this invitation before, to do so now. Lord, I pray that each one of us would be so intent on finding out more of who you are by discovering who you are in your word, by hearing the names of you, that you are the creator, the powerful one, the prince of peace, the everlasting father, the wonderful counselor. Lord, may we lean into who you are. And Lord, if there is someone who has not received this invitation, this good news that the one with a beautiful name knows their name and calls them to trust him for salvation and to trust him for all they need for life. Would they do that today? Would they do that today, Jesus? Would you call them by name and usher them out of the grave into your marvelous night for your praise and for your glory? In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.